0: Saskag Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Saskag Today. Coming up on today's program, weeds with resistance to multiple herbicide groups are a growing threat in Western Canada. We will hear from a person who is at Manitoba Ag Days in Brandon talking about it. Our agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch, spoke with her about it. Manitoba Agriculture Minister Ron Custician was in Brandon for day one of Manitoba Ag Days yesterday. He'll talk about the status of the agriculture industry in his home province. The Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef released its second sustainability assessment earlier this week. We will hear from Ryan Beyerback, who is the chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, and what all of that means. And Manitoba's grasshopper forecast for 2024 has been released. Manitoba agriculture entomologist Dr. John Gavlosky will join us on today's program. All of those stories and much more on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the agriculture outlook with precision weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers BioMeal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to SaskAg Ag Today. Weeds with resistance to multiple herbicide groups are a growing threat in Western Canada. Two weeds of particular worry are kochia and water hemp. SaskAgtoday.com's Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch has this report from Manitoba Ag Days in brandon kim brown is the weed specialist for
1: manitoba agriculture she says two of the most worrisome weeds are kochia and water hemp. with kochia resistant to many herbicide modes of action producers have increasingly turned to group 14 products such as heat aim and authority unfortunately as kim brown explains the clock is ticking on how long group 14s will be effective
2: so there was a population found in Saskatchewan, um, or an area, w- uh, one place in Saskatchewan that was found. They've tested several populations with of kosher within this place. So the results are very preliminary, but we've been finding that there is um, definitely some Group 14 resistance within that kosher, as, as was suspected. Uh, the Group 14 products just weren't working. And then also in North Dakota, uh, they've been looking at this, and Dr. Brian Jenks has been doing quite a bit of work in this area, and they have multiple populations in North Dakota that are Group 14 resistant. And resistant to more than one group 14 product
1: how quickly group 14 resistance will spread is hard to determine but group 9 glyphosate resistance has spread quickly Brown says producers should take action now and not wait for the problem to appear in their fields
2: you, you always take action now. And the best thing we can do is have a really good crop rotation. So the best thing is a really diverse crop rotation. Within that crop rotation, do everything you can to grow those crops as best you can. You want a competitive crop. You want that crop to come up well. You want it to cover the ground early. You want it to be as competitive as it can be. Some of our crops are more competitive than others. But, you know, that's, you, do, you do your best in every crop. And then within that crop, you know, you use multiple herbicides. You're using, um, using herbicide layering. So you're coming at it with some pre-emerge, some burn-off you know you've got your burn-off products then you've got your pre-emerge that have residual that lasts throughout the part of the growing season then you have your post you know your in crop options as well and you know we need to look also at things like our fall weed control if we have an an early fall what are we doing for those weeds can we take down the pressure for next year Uh, you know what can we incorporate tillage Uh, strategic tillage is really important Um, you know we need to make sure that we still use that tool Um, but there's so many things we need to do now but everything we can do to make our crops more competitive helps and then other than that, we know we need to look at our, our rotation and where we're using these Group 14s and where, you know, we need to use them smart. We need to be smart with them. We need to use them judiciously, um, you know, so that they last as long as possible.
1: Water hemp is another weed with multiple herbicide resistance that's showing up with increased frequency in Manitoba. It likes the open space in row crops like corn and sunflowers and also shows up in soybeans that have been sprayed with only glyphosate. While Saskatchewan doesn't have a lot of corn, sunflowers, or soybeans, Brown believes water hemp could become a big problem in lentils.
2: I'd be really concerned about lentils just because you know we know we know the water hemp is is it's group two resistant. The water hemp that we've had in Manitoba is group two resistant. The water hemp in North Dakota most of it's group two resistant, and uh, you know we've got there's metribuzin resistance as well. So I know that those are you know those are products that uh, that are pretty important in in lentils, and so you don't have a lot of options left.
1: Lentils typically grown in in, in drier areas. Will water hemp adapt to drier areas?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, because we've seen. I mean, by the name. Water Water um, hemp, where it originally came from, was wetter areas. It was like edges of, you know, ravines and streams and rivers and that type of thing. And so that's where, you know, that's where it's probably most comfortable. But I've seen it do perfectly well in the middle of a very dry summer where we hadn't had any rain. Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw it on a field. I saw a lot of it in a field down um, near um, in, in, in southeastern Manitoba, quite near the U.S. border, and it was a very light sandy land. It was very very dry in the middle of that summer, and the water hemp was doing just fine waterhemp
1: towers over short-stature crops. If you see it, the recommendation is to destroy it so it can't set seed. For SaskAg Today at Manitoba's Ag Days in Brandon, I'm Kevin Hirsch.
0: Manitoba Agriculture Minister Ron Kostition was also in Brandon for day one of Manitoba Ag Days yesterday. He was there to promote Manitoba's agriculture sector. One of our many initiatives is that we need to find added
3: value to the commodities we grow in this province of Manitoba. So we can create more jobs, create more locally produced uh, items that are grown here in the province of Manitoba. then simply, uh, you know, we've got the north uh, mines and minerals also to be looked at. But basically, in the, in, as far as the agriculture department goes, definitely we have a strong mission Uh, to find some added value,
0: create some more dollars into our province. Gostitian also commented on last year's growing season... Which was similar to Eastern Saskatchewan's.
3: Just talking to a number of producers that, uh, you know, we uh, we did have some areas of concern as far as lack of moisture, but overall I would say a very high percentage producers seem to be very comfortable with the yields they got this year, and and maybe quite fortunate. Uh, I think if we would have had a repeat of lack of moisture like we did last year, it would be concern. But we did have uh, have appropriate rainfall, but it didn't seem to be very consistent. It seemed to be in designated areas, and that's the way it seemed to stay throughout the whole growing season. So definitely uh, we're hoping that we've got a sufficient amount of snow, uh, so to speak, and uh, timely rains and, and moisture is, is much appreciated, I think, as far as the growing conditions.
0: And this is Constition's second tour of duty as the Provincial Ag Minister a job he enjoys.
3: still have the passion and love for agriculture and it's so key in our province of Manitoba, much like Saskatchewan and Alberta, you know, when we talk about 9% of our GDP is, is agriculture
0: related, it's a very key component in our agriculture. That's Ron Kustition, Manitoba's Agriculture Minister, speaking at Ag Days in Brandon. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation. Of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, AgriView. Manitoba's Agri Insurance Program is expected to provide farmers with nearly $5 billion in coverage on an estimated 9.55 million acres for the upcoming crop year. The federal and Manitoba agriculture ministers released details indicating that 2024 agri-insurance premiums will be lower than they were in 2023 for most crops insured in Manitoba. For annual crops, producers can expect to pay an average premium of $16.21 per acre in 2024, compared to $19.21 per acre in 2023. Manitoba Agricultural Services Corporation calculates premium rates using methodologies that are reviewed and approved by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Continued volatility in global commodity markets has impacted agri-insurance dollar values for the 2024 season. Some crops such as dry beans, forage seeds, potatoes, vegetables and forages will have higher dollar values. For the majority of crops, however, dollar values are lower than 2023. The governments of Canada and Manitoba, through the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, are investing $450,000 over three years toward the Manitoba Farmer Wellness Program, or MFWP, to provide access to professional counselling services to Manitoba's agricultural community. Federal Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley notes that this program is different from other mental health services available as it is rooted in agriculture and the counselors are familiar with the unique stressors of managing an agribusiness such as seasonality of operations, impact of extreme climate events, global and market fluctuations and the dynamics of rural living. The Manitoba Farmer Wellness Program, a non-profit organization launched in 2022, addresses the mental health of farmers, farm families and farm workers through access beyond crisis intervention to longer-term counselling support that prevent mental health crisis. Canada's abnormally dry winter is worsening drought conditions across the western provinces, where most of the country's oil, gas, forest products and grain are produced. As of December 31st, 70% of the country was abnormally dry or in drought, according to Agriculture Canada, with the worst conditions in southern Alberta, western Saskatchewan, and north-central British Columbia. In Alberta, three years of drought have raised the cost of feeding cattle and drained dugouts that the cattle drink from. This is for some farmers to reduce their herds. Canada's cattle inventory hit its lowest level on record in 2022, according to Statistics Canada. Farms in southern Alberta depend on irrigated river water to sustain crops of potato and sugar beet. Non-irrigated prairie farms produce most of Canada's wheat and canola, much of which are exported. Final production estimates for the past growing season from the United States Department of Agriculture confirmed larger lentil, dry pea and chickpea crops in the country in 2023-24 compared to the previous year as yields improved for all three crops. However, edible bean production was down slightly as both yields and seeded area were down for the crop. Improved yields more than made up for a decline in seeded lentil area in the country in 2023-24, according to the USDA's January 12th report, with lentil production of 260,450, up by 1.5% on the year, despite a 19.7% decline in planted acres. Chickpea yields in the country were up by 21.9% on the year, hitting 1,315 pounds per acre. U.S. dry edible pea production came in at 820,370 metric tons, which was up from 703,840 tons the previous year, and roughly double what was grown in 2021-22. An attack on a dry bulk carrier this week in the Red Sea region is set to lead to more diversions of grain cargoes around the Cape of Good Hope, but most are still willing to risk using the Suez Canal for now. Houthi forces in Yemen struck the U.S.-owned and operated dry bulk ship Gibraltar Eagle with an anti-ship ballistic missile on Monday, although there were no reports of injuries or significant damage. Dry bulk carriers are often used to transport grains, although in this case the Gibraltar Eagle was carrying a cargo of steel products. That was before reports emerged of an empty Malta-flagged Greek-owned bulk carrier also being hit by a missile Tuesday while northbound in the Red Sea. There were no injuries. And Saskag today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SASGAG Today. And yes, it's free. SASGAG Today will return right after this. Welcome back to SASGAG Today. I'm Doug Falconer. There's very light snow and minus 21 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. The Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef released its second sustainability assessment earlier this week. It found that there was a 15% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions to produce one kilogram of boneless beef in 2021, compared to seven years previously in 2014. The report also shows that land used for beef cattle production is estimated to store 1.9 billion metric tons of soil organic carbon. That's nearly 40% of the total soil carbon across Canada's agricultural landscape. Land used as pastures and cropland in Canada contributes 74% of the critical habitat that wildlife requires for reproduction and 55% of their food needs. Ryan Beyerbach is the chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, and he is a beef producer from the Whitewood area. He says the sustainability assessments are important.
4: We're definitely closely watched in what we do in Canada. We do a really good job of producing beef with a low environmental footprint. We're predominantly grasslands naturally so it's not like we're having to convert land to raise beef it really fits into the ecosystem while on the animal welfare side of it we've got strong regulations and good understanding on the producer side on what we need to do to take care of animals so i think because we do a good job i wouldn't say there's a lot of pressure but you know people care about animals so everybody's paying attention to what we do and make sure that we're doing a good job You know, we learn new things and we improve our techniques on everything from grazing to taking care of animals and vaccines to keep them healthy. I wouldn't call it pressure, but I'd say that we do a good job here and we're recognized for it, but there's always room for improvement.
0: Tim McAllister is a principal research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. We'll see Environment Canada is developing offset programs and now for the feedlot industry, so those are
1: actually in a comment session right now that are available for a comment from the Canadian public in terms of what those are going to look like. So there is initiatives going on to try to encourage further improvements in efficiency. There's also additives that are being developed and they're being considered for regulatory approval that could also reduce methane emissions. Obviously, we've done a lot of efficiency already, so we need new technologies as well that are going to enable us to push those efficiency levels to even greater levels uh, going into the future if we're going to maintain the continuous reduction of 15%, like what we're looking at in the current assessment.
0: And Buyerback is confident the beef sector will be able to reach its 33% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, by the end
4: of this decade when we look at um feed additives that looks like an opportunity where we can reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions especially in feedlot animals um on the cow calf level we see things like weaning more live calves and and you know better reproductive efficiency things like that that we can do that'll help reduce the greenhouse gas footprint so you know some of it's tied to better efficiency and some of it's tied to, you know, new technologies, I guess.
0: The next sustainability report will be issued in late 2030 or early 2031. Livestock market conditions. <laughs> US live cattle futures for February are trading at 172.62 this hour. That's down 50 April live cattle trading at 17507 down 10. March feeder cattle trading at 22860 down 22. April feeder cattle trading at 23415 down 12. February lean hogs trading at 7105 that's up 27. April lean hogs trading at 7772 up 15. And that's the livestock market conditions. Manitoba's grasshopper forecast for 2024 has been released. Manitoba agriculture entomologist Dr. John Gavlosky tells us how he compiled it.
5: What we do is we uh, scout or monitor grasshopper levels on uh, ditches, roadside throughout August. So. August 1st, our survey starts, August 31st, it ends. Um, And then we take that data and we build a map from the data. We have six categories in our map that we um, uh, grade things on. And then I uh, use the map and I try to factor in temperatures, egg laying conditions, uh, previous grasshopper, Uh, survey uh, results, um, natural enemies, things like that, and uh, use all that to put together the forecast.
0: He explains why he does the forecast. So really the
5: purpose is to give people a bit of a heads up. And it, it is a forecast, so a lot can happen between the time we do those counts and the next growing season. But should we be seeing some very high numbers in some areas, it at least gives a little bit of advanced warning or notice to farmers and agronomists so that, that they can plan their seeding strategies, their um, uh, pest management strategies appropriately.
0: Gavlosky says grasshopper counts didn't turn up serious grasshopper numbers. So we
5: did 76 counts. And uh, the, the good news is that of those 76 counts, I mentioned we have six categories Um Going from none to very light, very light, light, moderate, severe, and very severe. And 57 of our 76 counts were in those first two categories, the none to very light or very light, which is good. Um, we had less than two, just under 10% of our counts in the moderate, severe, or we didn't actually have any very severe counts this year. But We, we did have roughly 10% of the counts in that moderate severe range. So we had a lot of counts that were on the lower end and some scattered higher counts.
0: He notes they didn't do any counts in the Swan Valley.
5: Uh, correct. Like I said, we did have 76 counts, um, but uh, there, there weren't any counts done in that Swan River area. So unfortunately, uh, that will be white on the map.
0: Yavlosky yeah, says the grasshopper numbers in the Dauphin region appear to be low. There
5: were a few counts done in that Dauphin area. None of them were terribly high. However, um, we did have some spraying for grasshoppers in the northwest region, the Dauphin region, uh, last year. So I I caution, I don't want people to look at this and think I really don't have to worry about grasshoppers next year if I'm in that Dauphin area. Uh, We did have some economical populations this year and the other part to this survey factoring in what the egg laying conditions were like we had really good conditions for the grasshoppers to lay uh, a maximum number of eggs so uh, in spite of there being a lot of green on the map in the dauphin area i wouldn't be complacent going into next year
0: he says southwest manitoba is more of an area of concern
5: we did have some of our higher counts in that southwest part of the province so uh, certainly people in the southwest um, uh, closer to the saskatchewan border moletta area extending maybe over to to brandon um area uh those regions yeah we, we did have a little bit higher counts there so certainly um be on guard for grasshoppers
0: Gavlosky notes grasshoppers are cyclical in nature.
5: But it's not, um, it's a, it's a weather driven uh, cycle. And uh, globally, grasshopper populations vary in how they are affected by weather. Um, the locusts that you hear about in Africa and Asia, uh, after uh, heavy rains to get a lot of green vegetation going, their populations build. We're kind of the opposite to that. Uh, grasshoppers in the Canadian prairies, their cycles tend to get higher after consecutive years of high num uh, of dry weather. So we we had several hot, dry summers back to back to back. Um, that kind of got the grasshopper population built up and I think we're still in that cycle. We did have slightly lower counts overall this year than the previous grasshopper survey but again those uh, consecutive hot dry years uh, built the population up and um, and we're still in I would say a, a higher portion of their cycle.
0: He adds weather conditions can have a huge impact on grasshopper eggs
5: we had a very warm september and august was pretty much normal but we had a warm september and that enables the grasshoppers or the pest species of grasshoppers to lay their maximum number of eggs when i say pest species we've actually got about 85 species of grasshoppers in manitoba and there's four we consider to be pest species and when we get um warmer, drier temperatures through August, September, they can lay their maximum number of eggs. So we had good egg-laying conditions. Uh, The first frost didn't happen until into October. Um, So uh, that gets them off to, I guess, a maximum number of eggs. And the eggs that are in the, the ground, they actually will start developing a little bit in the fall if it's warm enough. They don't hatch, but there's what we call a little bit of embryonic development, which means they hatch quicker in the spring. So we had good conditions for that. Now, as far as the winter temperatures go, it takes about minus 15 degrees where the eggs are, about five centimeters down in the soil, to actually kill the eggs. We normally don't get that. Um, Even if there's a bit of snow on the ground, it tends to insulate the eggs well enough that it usually doesn't get down to around minus 15 where the eggs are. So... um, I've been encouraging people, don't bank on there being good winter kill, even though we're now into a bitter, cold snap. Um, there's enough snow on the ground that I'm not anticipating a high level of winter kill.
0: Gavlosky tells us when to start scouting for grasshoppers.
5: So I usually encourage people to start scouting in a very early June, right around the end of May, beginning of June. Uh, as mentioned, we probably have uh, some decent embryonic development in those eggs, If we get a hot, dry spring, we probably would start seeing our pest species hatching out near the end of May. If it's a cooler spring, cool, damp spring, um, that could be pushed back into June. But normally, very end of May, beginning of June, good time just to start looking. Probably populations won't be high at that time. But once you get into June, towards the middle of June... Uh, areas that we have that that higher potential, you should start seeing the higher levels by then. And um, by late June, you would want to be starting to make those decisions on are there areas where control might be needed.
0: And he had these final comments.
5: Some uh, good news that uh, we did notice some higher levels of some of the egg predators of grasshoppers last year. There's a um, There are some beetles called blister beetles, and uh, certain species, the young, eat nothing but grasshopper eggs, and we did see some higher levels of some of those species of blister beetles last year, and also there's a, a fly called the grasshopper bee fly, it almost looks like a uh, a bumblebee but it's actually a fly and their larvae also eat nothing but grasshopper eggs. We were noticing quite a bit of those um, bee flies around as well. So we do have some natural enemies that are out there that are helping to some degree but uh, as mentioned good egg laying conditions um, I, and we, we did have some higher levels that needed control last year. So um, my caution is do start scouting in June and be on top of the situation.
0: Dr. John Gavlowski is the Provincial Entomologist for Manitoba Agriculture. Please stay tuned, your Commodities Update is coming up next. Commodities Update. <laughs> Canola futures closed down across the board today. March is trading at six twenty six sixty down three dollars twenty cents may canola trading at six thirty three thirty down three dollars ten cents march Minneapolis wheat trading at six eighty two and a quarter down eight and a half cents march kansas city wheat trading at five ninety six and a half down five cents march Chicago wheat Trading at 583 and a quarter. That's up one and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 441 and three quarters. Down one and three quarters of a cent. March soybeans trading at 1205 and a half. That's down 21 and three quarters of a cent. March oats trading at 353 and three quarters. That's up one and a quarter cents. And that's the Commodities Update. Please stay tuned, Saskag Today will return right after these messages. Welcome back to Saskag Today, I'm Doug Faulkner. 29 crop science projects from researchers at the University of Saskatchewan have received a total of close to $7.5 million from the governments of Canada and Saskatchewan, and more than $2.5 million in co-funding from industry partners. The USASC Crop Research Projects received support from Saskatchewan's Agriculture Development Fund meant to aid the growth and advancement of the agricultural industry in the province through innovative work solving modern questions in agricultural science. Jeff Shano is a researcher at the University of Saskatchewan who's getting funding for two programs.
6: So this is a project that, that actually I put together based on, on some uh, input that I've had from a lot of folks out there in the industry, in the field, in, in Saskatchewan, relating to some some issues that have, have been showing up. Uh, one of them is acidification of, of, of soils, some acid layers, and uh, also we deal with, in Saskatchewan, some soils uh, that are affected by sodium that, that have poor structure. Uh, and then also uh, one of the issues as well is, is greenhouse gas production. So, interestingly, uh, in, when it comes to calcium in terms of, of nutritional limitations of, of crops and calcium, that's that, that's very rare. But, but calcium as an amendment, uh, when it's c- in the form of calcium carbonate or lime, uh, can address acidity issues in the soil. And also calcium in uh, other calcium-containing compounds like uh, gypsum, for example, uh, can help in the uh, reclamation of some of these sodium-affected soils if you've got good drainage, and uh, also uh, in Interestingly, some old work had shown that uh, uh, calcium can tend to favor the uptake by plants of ammonium nitrogen, and that can help uh, potentially, possibly, and this is what we're going to look at, uh, reduce uh, emissions of nitrous oxide. So, this project really addresses those uh, uh, Issues, I guess you might say, or, or or questions, research questions, and so it's going to involve a combination of uh, greenhouse work, uh, where we bring soils in and add these amendments, and also a field studies as well, where we actually add these different calcium-containing amendments in the field and look at their impact on uh, soil properties, crop growth, and uh, greenhouse gas emissions.
0: Would it be fair to say, in layman's terms, that it, it's sort of a two-prong approach here? You're, you're looking to get the, the nutrients to the plant, and you're also looking at the greenhouse gas emission file. It's a sort of a combination.
6: Yep, absolutely. So this type of research, I guess you might say, would be agronomic in nature, looking at how it can benefit the plant, also how it can benefit soil health or soil quality, and also how it can address some environmental issues, uh, in particular, uh, greenhouse gas production.
0: Excellent. And, and your second project? Uh, just tell us quickly about that. Yeah.
6: So the second project that we've got is a project that uh, uh, relates to uh, land application of... Uh, of uh, of um, filtration earth that's used in canola oil processing. In canola crushing, uh, they pass the canola oil through uh, filtration earth, the bentonite, and uh, the reality is, is that a lot of that is produced in the whole uh, canola crush industry, and as the canola crush industry expands here in Saskatchewan, there's going to be more of that material. And when it comes to uh, dealing with that material, uh, one potential uh, application of it, uh, apart from putting it in a landfill, which is really not the preferred, Uh, would be to land apply that material uh, because it contains clay, it contains uh, oil in there, which is a source of organic material when the microbes decompose it. So our research work in this project, again using a combination of greenhouse-controlled environment and field studies, is going to take a look at what the appropriate uh, rates of application are for this material in the field, to have benefit from the clay and the organic material in that, and how it may be best uh, used to actually improve the, the quality of the soil and its ability to support uh, uh, crop growth.
4: oh And uh, I just want to ask just generally if you could tell us the the role that uh, the University of Saskatchewan plays both domestically and uh, internationally in agricultural uh, innovation.
6: Sure, and uh, absolutely, and, and the U of S uh, uh, plays a very, very important role uh, at the local scale, the provincial scale, the national and the international scale uh, in developing new agricultural uh, products, practices, techniques, uh, both basic and applied science that really helps uh, 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 agriculture, uh, both from a, a food security standpoint, from a water security standpoint, and, uh, and also from uh, uh, environmental protection in, in general, those kinds of practices that that, uh, that really uh, 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 will uh, uh, provide uh, a benefit to uh, a secure food pop- food supply for the for the world, and do it in a sustainable in a sustainable manner. So uh, within the College of Agriculture and Bioresources, certainly we do all kinds of research work that that, that contributes to that goal, and also other uh, departments and colleges in the university are also part of that that effort to uh, to further agriculture locally, nationally, and internationally.
0: That's Jeff Shano a researcher at the University of Saskatchewan who is receiving funding for two programs. He made his comments last week at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon while having a scrum with reporters. Please stay tuned. I'll have your agriculture weather coming up next. It's coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of flurries, winds northwest at 15 to 30, a high of minus 19, a wind chill of minus 30. For tonight, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of isolated flurries, winds northwest at 15 to 25 a low of minus 25, a wind chill of minus 37. For tomorrow, a 70% chance of scattered snow showers, one centimeter likely, a high of minus 18, a wind chill of minus 29, an overnight low of minus 24. For Friday, partly sunny, winds west-southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 18, a wind chill of minus 29. For Saturday, partly sunny with a 30% chance of evening flurries, a high of minus 12. And Sunday, a 20% chance of flurries, then partly sunny, a high of minus 10. In the Paw, Show Lake, Russell and Roblin, it's minus 21 degrees. Swan River minus 18, Dauphin minus 17, Brandon minus 19. Regina, Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, all reporting in at minus 21. Hudson Bay, minus 19. The Yorkton-Melville region has some very light snow. A west-northwest wind at 22 kilometres an hour. 76% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 21 degrees With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 32 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for today. for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.